let's start a new series. We're going to call it Seek and You Will Find. So there's an amazing section of scripture that I mentioned in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, that's had a huge impact on my life. So let me go to Matthew chapter 7. We'll read 7 through 11, and it says this. This is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking to the masses, and he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So an incredible, incredible promise here. You know, we are invited by Jesus to ask, to seek, to knock, to go after God, to go after the things of God, to ask God of things, you know, and I think it's neat. Ask, seek, knock, A-S-K, ask, you know, it's, it's just built for that. He is inviting us in, but his invitation means that now the ball is in our court and we have to initiate the asking. We have to initiate the seeking. We have to initiate the knocking because we have been invited and now the ball's in our court. It's time for us to go. So we keep at it. We realign when we need to. You know, the seeking process isn't necessarily just like 10 seconds of seeking and then it's over. You know, it can be (laughs) quite an extended period of time of seeking and learning and becoming. And so we initiate, we keep at it. We realign when we need to. You know, I've been looking the wrong direction for something and then realized, oh, it's over here and had to realign. That's what we do. But the first step is believing that God can help you actually really give you something good. Believing that God exists, that he is, that he is able to meet you where you're at, not give you a stone when you ask for bread, but give you something good. He, that God is good, that he is willing. When we believe that, then we can go after it. Jesus has invited us to ask, to seek, and to knock. So let's go ahead and do that. But let's seek wisely. Let's ask and knock and seek wisely because oftentimes people want things that are actually not good for them. They think it will help, but it's not going to help. So we need to seek wisely. A great example of this would be people who win the lottery. You know, they think if I only win the lottery, it's going to solve all my problems. But then they win the lottery and it creates more problems. There's story after story after story of people winning the lottery and it just being an absolute disaster. For example, if we want financial security, we shouldn't seek God to win the lottery. We should seek God for how to manage our finances instead of spend everything that we earn. We should seek God in how to increase our earning potential and then manage our finances, submitting our financial life to God. And then as time goes on, our financial situation improves. And we never get to the place where we can't handle it because I tell you what, if you all of a sudden have a billion dollars, it's not easy to figure out how to do that. Now, of course, I'd like to try the challenge. (laughs) I'm sure you would as well. But the reality is when we grow incrementally, step by step, 
we're able to get somewhere and hold it. And so rather than praying to win the lottery, you should pray to learn how to manage your finances, to submit your financial life to Christ, and then improve your earning potential. You do that, that's better than winning the lottery. It's not as exciting, but that's really what we need when we're wanting our financial life to get better. So let's seek wisely. What shall we seek? Well, I want to go after in this series, Seeking You'll Find, three interrelated things that I think are very important. I want us to seek after to try to find our peace, to have peace in our hearts, to have peace in our minds, to have peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with this world, to be at peace on the inside, to seek after that. The second thing in this series I want to seek after is our people to seek after a community of people to belong to, to understand how to be part of the body of Christ, this people that we are part of, you know, the hands and feet of Jesus. Seek out and find our people. And then the last thing I want to seek after is I want to seek so that we can find our purpose, not live a pointless, meaningless, useless life, but live a life of meaning, live a life of purpose, eternal purpose in Christ. So that's what I want to seek after in this series. Seek after our peace, that we can find our peace, find our people, and find our purpose. That's what I want to seek after. So let's start with finding our peace. It's going to take us a few weeks, a few things I want to cover. But the first step is finding peace with God. So finding peace with God is essential and important. And, you know, I think it's the first step. That's where we need to all start is finding peace with God. And that can mean that if you're far from God, you need to believe in God uh, and start a relationship with God. Or maybe you have a strained relationship with God and you need to find peace with God. We're going to talk about those things. But first, I want to watch a, a short video that's called It's Not About the Nail. Uh, this is a really fun video. It's, it's about men and women and how they communicate, but I think it ties into uh, some core needs of every human being and how God can meet those needs. So I just introduced a video and you're listening on audio. So let me just describe the video for you here for just a second. So there's a woman and a man sitting on a couch and she starts to talk about this pressure and this, the, the trouble that she's in and there's this pain and, and then it, it pans out a little bit and you notice that there's a nail in her forehead, like a roofing nail or uh, just a framing nail, kind of a regular sized nail. And the, the man looks at her with a longing look and says, well, you know, you do have a nail in your head. <laughs> and then she says, you're always trying to fix it. You know, you just need to listen. And he says, uh, I don't think you need me to listen. I think you do need to get the nail out of your head. And then they have a little fight. And she says, you just need to listen and, and feel where I'm at. And so he tries that. And, he, you know, she describes the difficulties she's going through with this problem she's got. And he says, oh, it must be so hard. And she says, it is, and leans in to give him a kiss. But then, of course, they hit the nail when their heads come together. And she goes, ow. And, and then that's the end of the video. It's pretty comical. I, I invite you to just look it up on YouTube. It's not about the nail is the name of the video. So that's the video. Let's go back to the sermon. 
Both of those people, apparently husband and wife, both of those people have been robbed of their peace. The peace has been robbed from them, but both for different reasons. He clearly not at peace because he's trying to solve the problem, you know, and he's trying to communicate something uh, and he seems powerless to deal with the obvious situation. He is powerless. He wants to solve the problem. He just wants to, you know, pull that nail out, but he just can't do it. He's powerless to do that. And she, she has her peace robbed from her because she needs to be heard and understood you know, she gets glimpses of it, but it's not really happening. He keeps interrupting and then there's these other problems and it just always comes back to him trying to fix the situation. So she needs to be heard and understood. He needs to solve the problem. And since neither one of those things are working, they're both robbed of their peace. And of course, this video is about men and women, how they communicate what their felt needs are. But I, as I mentioned earlier, it's about I believe also about two very real needs that all of us have. Not just men needing to solve the problem, not just women needing to be heard and understood. I believe we all need problems in our lives to be solved and we all need to be heard and understood. Uh, this is universal for all people. So let's look at this because I believe God meets both of these needs, that God meets both of these needs in us to be known, loved, and understood. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. We'll read 4, 14 through 16. It says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What this is saying in Hebrews chapter four is that Jesus, the Son of God, the Alpha and the Omega, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Savior, came to this earth, born in a, in a barn, laid in a manger, lived a normal life of being the son of a carpenter. He understood what it meant to be rejected. He understood what it meant to have people pulling on him from every direction and not have enough of him to go around. He understood what it meant to be betrayed, to be lied about, to be humiliated and abused and falsely convicted and killed, tortured to death. He's, he went through a lot and he knows what it's like to be down here in this mess. We don't serve a God that is way off in the distance that doesn't have the ability to really understand us. The word here is empathize. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. That means that he can understand it. He knows what it's like to be us. So we have a God who knows us, who loves us, who understands us, and we see this all over the scriptures. You know, I, I think of 
Jesus dealing with Martha and Mary when Lazarus dies of his illness and the heart that he has for them and for the other people there, he is just weeping with them over their pain and their faith crisis because of the situation. We serve a God who knows us, who understands us, and who loves us anyway. That's amazing. But not just that. We don't just have a God who loves us, who understands us, who cares about us, who knows, but we also have a God that is able to transform our lives for the better. So we have a God who knows us, hears and understands and loves us, responds to us with compassion, responds to us with favor, but at the same time, doesn't leave us stuck where we are. He is a God of transformation, transforming us for the better. Let's go to Romans, two sections from Romans, Romans 5, 6 through 8, and then we'll go to chapter 12. So Romans 5, starting in verse 6, is kind of the transition from loving and understanding into transforming. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we have a God who loves this world, this broken world, this world of sinners, this world of messed up people, loves them. And Jesus dies for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us because he loves us and because he wants to transform us, not leave the nail in our forehead, but get that thing out of there. We go to Romans 12 too. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So not only does God love us and understand us, empathize with us, able to hear us, notice us, care about us, but also able to transform us. We take off the old, we put on the new. We are born again. Behold, all things have become new, transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our understanding is changed by the truths of God and we're able to step into a new way of living. This is fantastic. Transformation as well as love, empathy, understanding, and being known. Also being transformed for the better. So God does both of these. Let's look at a, a biblical example from Luke chapter 19. If you were a church kid, you might know the story about Zacchaeus, the wee little man. Uh, I didn't hear that story or that song or whatever till I was an adult and I thought that was a strange little song. But this is the uh, section of scripture, Luke 19, about a tax collector, a chief tax collector who would have been a bad guy. He would have been somebody that is exploiting others, ripping people off and getting rich off of other people's misery. And not only that, but a Jewish person getting rich off of the exploitation of the Romans against the Jews. So very bad. Zacchaeus would not have been well thought of. Here we go. Luke 19, 1 through 20. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. 
When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus was noticed. He was understood. He was loved by Jesus even when he was lost. He was a sinner. He was a greedy exploiter. This is who Zacchaeus was. It says, verse seven, look at that again. All the people saw this and began to mutter. You know, that means that everybody thought Zacchaeus was a bad guy. They're like, why would Jesus spend any time with him? He is a piece of garbage. So Zacchaeus had a very bad reputation and I believe it was properly earned. So Zacchaeus, even when he was lost, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even while he was still lost, he was noticed, he was understood, he was loved. But then Zacchaeus was transformed. He was transformed, no more exploiting others. Instead, he gave and he made things right. If he cheated anybody, he paid back four times. He gave back half of what he had to the poor. You know, I mean, this is what Zacchaeus's pledge was, half of what he owned. That's a lot. He was a wealthy man. And then four times, I'm thinking, okay, if he cheated a whole lot of people, he might just completely run out of money here. But uh, he was transformed into a new person. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. He was born again, he's a new Zacchaeus. Blink, the nail comes out of his forehead. He's heard, understood, loved, and transformed. This is what our God does for us. And this is how we can have peace with God. But there are also roadblocks for people. I want to talk about two major roadblocks. Two major roadblocks for people. And I would say this is people who think that there's probably a God out there. You know, not the staunch atheist. That's a a roadblock in and of itself, an intellectual roadblock. I'm talking here more about emotional roadblocks. Roadblock number one is people love the nail more than they love God. They love the nail. You know, that lady had the nail in her forehead. They love that more than they love God. They're believing a lie. Let me tell you, the nail is not your friend. Your addiction is not your friend. Your lust problem is not your friend. Your greed is not your friend. Your power over others, ability to exploit, ability to push others down is not your friend. Your being a victim, your brokenness is not your friend. Don't believe the lie that the nail is your friend and that God shouldn't help you. Now, in this video that we watched, it was the woman with the nail, but I got to tell you, men love their nails as much or more than women do. Men love their problems. They want to keep their pride. They want to add God sometimes, but they're keeping their pride. You know, they're keeping their anger problem. They're keeping all of those nails in their forehead and they somehow want it to work. So it's just as irrational, but you can't love the nail more than you love God. Zacchaeus loved money and he loved power over others. 
He wouldn't have been in this situation if he didn't mind exploiting some people, you know, taking things from them for himself, getting a little bit better deal than he should because he had the power to push people around because he was a chief tax collector. He was greedy and I assume he enjoyed exploiting other people. He was hated by everyone. But then Zacchaeus was transformed. He didn't love money and the power that he had over others more than Jesus when he saw the love of God for him and he was able to get that nail out of his forehead and be a greedy exploiter no more. So don't love the nail more than you love God. The nail does not love you. Get that thing out. The other roadblock is blaming God for the nail being mad at God over your life circumstances, over your situation, people being mad at God, angry at God, seeing God as the problem. Let me tell you, God is not your problem. God is not your problem. Any theology that leads you to believe that God is your problem is a false theology. You gotta change that theology. God is not your problem. Satan, sin, and the curse are your problem. So don't believe bad theology. Let me tell you about the devil's scheme against Job. So the devil went to God talking about Job and they had this conversation and it's a little bit confusing. We're not going to get too deep into it. But then the devil says to God, hey, you know what? Uh, Job only likes you because his life is good. I bet if his life got messed up, then he would curse you. And so God's like, all right, let's find out. So he releases Satan to be able to do terrible things to Job. Satan gained access to Job's life and he did all kinds of harm to him. You know, family members died, lost all of his wealth, uh, lost his health. He was in terrible pain and still he did not turn against God. But what was Satan's scheme against Job? It was to hurt Job, Satan was going to hurt Job and then drive a wedge between Job and God. Job loves God. Satan wants to hurt Job and get him to hate God. Drive a wedge between him and God. And that same thing is what Satan is doing today. Satan is trying to push you away from God. Satan will hurt you. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. When you've got stealing, killing, and destroying in your life, you've got the nail in your forehead along those lines. Don't get mad at God. Get mad at the devil. Get mad at this evil world. Get mad at the curse, the harshness of living in this world. Because in heaven, we'll know what it's like for God to be totally in control. Picture heaven, that's that's the place that God has all the influence. But in this world, the devil prowls around and devours. Sin brings death and the curse brings painful toil. This world is not that great of a place. It's a yucky place. Now you've got to fight and overcome these things with God's help, but don't blame God for the nail in your forehead, for the problems in your life, for the evils that you faced, because when evil people sin against God's will and the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, then God is your rescuer. He is your deliverer. He is your healer. He is your savior. Don't get mad at your helper get mad at the devil get mad at this evil world and God will help you to fight against the devil and the evil of this world he will help you but don't push away your savior God did not put the nail there God doesn't want you to keep the nail he's your healer your deliverer and your savior you got that I hope so this is very important 
So let's seek our peace with God, both to be known and understood and loved by God, as well as to be transformed, to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to grab hold of new life, to live for God at peace with God, not at odds with God, but at peace with God. I've got one more scripture to read. I'm gonna to go to 2 Corinthians chapter five. We'll read 17 through 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through 20 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're gonna pray in a few minutes, but I want us to seek our peace with God. Now I mentioned earlier those roadblocks, you know, loving the nail, loving your sin, loving the darkness more than the freedom we have in Christ, obedience to Christ, serving in the kingdom of God. If you love the nail more than you love God, you're going to have a problem. If you're blaming God for the nail, for the hardships that you're going through, rather than seeing him as your helper, as your deliverer, as your healer, your savior, then you got a real problem. But uh, I just want to talk for a second to those who just don't think God is real. I used to be like that. I used to believe there was no God and God intervened in my life. Someone had given me a Bible and and I read Matthew 7, 7 and 8, the ask, seek and knock section that we read at the beginning. And uh, I didn't care if God was real. You know, I wasn't somebody who was against God. I just didn't care. I mean, if God was real, fine. I just didn't think he was. I mean, where is he? You know what I mean? Like, we got pretty powerful telescopes. We haven't found God yet. So, you know what I mean? I'm like, well, where is he? If you think there's a God. Had a very, you know, just regular scientific viewpoint of the nature of reality. And uh, let me tell you, I prayed and God showed up. I prayed based on Matthew 7, 7, and 8. And God came and met me where I was at. And uh, since then, I've done a whole lot of looking and, and I... I believe that there is plenty of room in the scientific world when we go out and look for the existence of a spirit world and of a God uh, that created and who loves us. I think this is all very, very possible. Don't be afraid to look. Check out dark matter. Check out theoretical physics. Man, I tell you what, there is all kinds of room in our reality for more than what we can see, for more than our three-dimensional, you know, and four dimensions if you want time as one you know, there is more than that four-dimensional reality. There is plenty of room for God to be real. So don't reject God intellectually. I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And that means acknowledging God, that he is real. You are not some cosmic accident, but you were created with a purpose by a God who knows you and loves you and wants you to live forever with him in heaven, as we call it. So, don't reject that. But if you're someone who has a belief in God, but you don't have peace with God because you're in rebellion against God, you're running away from God, you like sin more than obedience to God, you prefer the nail over freedom in Christ, today is your day 
to get free, to make peace with God. And instead of running away from God and believing that there is a better way than God's ways, you reject that lie and you believe, God, you have got what's best for me. You are good. Now's your time to make peace with God. And if you've been blaming God, say you've gone through horrible, horrible situations. You know, I'm not saying you didn't go through horrible, horrible situations that you aren't tormented and in tremendous pain and you need a hug from heaven so bad. I'm saying don't run away from God who is your helper in your great time of need, in your tremendous distress, in your incredible pain. Don't run from God, run to God. Don't blame God. He is your deliverer. He is your healer. He is your savior. Run to him because he understands and he's not mad at you. He wants to help you. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So heavenly father, we come before you and we honor you. We come seeking because you, Lord Jesus, invited us to ask and have it given to us to seek and find, to knock and have the door opened. You invited us to do that and so we're doing it. And we seek today our peace with God. Heavenly Father, help us to see who you are truly, to not look the other way, to not believe lies, the two lies that we talked about today, actually the three, that you don't exist at all. Lord, let us see you as real and true because you are. Father, let us not love the things of this world, the things of destruction, the things that actually bring pain and hurt. Let us release our greed and exploitation of others like Zacchaeus. Let us release all of those things that we think are so good, but that just bring destruction and pain in the long run. And let us run to you, releasing all of that to have peace with you, no longer running from you, no longer rebelling from you, but trusting you as good because you see us, you know us, you understand us and you have good things for us. You can actually help. So Father, for those who are running from you, let them have peace right now. And Father, for those who are angry, if you're angry at God because of your life circumstances, it's not fair I agree, it's not fair. You're in lots of pain. I agree, you're in lots of pain. But Jesus suffered unfairly and he experienced tremendous pain so that he could understand and empathize with you. Let him help you. Don't push him away and be angry with God. Let the God who loves you come and comfort you, weep with you and help you. Open your heart to have peace with God. Father, help us all to know that you understand us and you do not reject us. You understand us, you notice us, you love us and you redeem us, you transform us, you bring us into new life. Let us have peace with you as we recognize the great blessing that Jesus has given us, forgiveness of sins and new life. Let us have peace with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.